In his novel, A Steep Approach to Garbadale, the late great Scottish author Ian Banks tells the story of a family made rich by a popular board game and now facing the dilemma of selling the rights to that game to a huge American toy manufacturer. Recently reading Mark Adolf's memoir, Growing Up with Sibutio, I had hoped to find a similar tale of a louche and dissolute family being forced to flog the family silver to an American giant. And where there are prima facie similarities in the two stories, when you delve a little deeper, you find that the story of Sibutio is a much less complex tale than that of the fictional empire in Banks' novel. Where the fictional Wopolds squander the family fortune, the adults lose control of their baby due mainly to their own success, and it's their inability to take it to the next level that leads to it being sold first to Waddington's, who, in my opinion, did quite a good job of developing it into the product I knew and loved, and ultimately the American giant Hasbro, who still to this day have no real idea about what to do with the game. In this episode of Finger Flicking Good, I'll be delving a little deeper into the business side of the game to check on the brand's current state of health as it enters its ninth decade of production. I'll also be talking to some of the people who have been involved in keeping the game alive during its wilderness years and who now might be able to benefit from its increased popularity thanks to the global coronavirus pandemic. All that and much more coming up in this edition of Finger Flicking Good. So keep listening. I stopped buying Sibutia products around 1980. I was 14 years old and although I still played the game with friends, my interest was being dragged in other directions. As a result, I was completely unaware of how the brand exploded during this period, eventually leading to its second golden age with the introduction of the machine-painted lightweight figure in the early 1980s, up to the appearance of the Hasbro figure perched on a much flatter base in the mid-1990s. When Hasbro decided in 2003 to end production of Subutio, there were many who felt that something had to be done to save it. Here's Mark Parker who runs a successful business Santiago Table Soccer. They produce figures and bases for self-painters, as well as a team painting service themselves. Here he is talking about how the company came into existence and how he came to take it over in 2007. I announced there was stopping production of Sabutio. He'd already got a little idea in his head to sort of produce some of the older versions of, of of Sabutio in a, in a replica. So obviously when Hasbro decided they were shutting it down, he put that plan into action. And he started with the really old heavyweight, the first old heavyweight, the bases, the goalie rods, and then he got a printer to make the boxes up. And he kicked it off from there. So as Hasbro shut Sabutio down, Santiago Table Soccer started. It was thanks to small businesses like Santiago that the game was kept alive during this time. Here's Mark again on the role that his business played in keeping Sibutio the game, if not the brand, alive. Hasbro shut, 
we were the, Santiago was the only company in the UK making anything Subutio or table football related, apart from sort of the really top end, the guys that were playing for the countries, if you like, you know, the Fistiff side of uh, Subutio. So we were the only ones that were making like retro uh, Subutio stuff or any Subutio stuff at all. So f- for us to keep to keep the interest there, especially as the prices of original Subutio, the heavyweights and that went up, was quite important. In, well, I think it was anyway. So there's only us, and then there were, I think there were top spin in Italy, and then Parodi obviously bringing out these little sets. But they were looking at, like Parodi were looking at the La Legenda and and stuff like that. But it's that that would that's that's I don't know. It's a different it's a different setup, if you know what I mean. Because they were just making that once every fortnight. A team comes out, you buy it. There's a booklet about it. You know the teams there, nice nice sets, but not something that you can you can now, obviously. But then it, it was just you buy it off its shelf every week, sort of thing. I mean, there's a there's a there's a guy in Italy re, who was, he makes stuff called replay, but he were only doing like little tiny amounts, so you'd have to ask him to make you some red bases, and then he'd make you some. He hadn't actually got anything for sale up front you could go and buy. Whereas we'd got the website with stuff that you can, I still have now, which you can buy painted or you can buy it yourself and paint it yourself. There was nobody offering that at all apart from us. And then Topspin in Italy. So there were only us Topspin in Italy offering that. And then there were only Parodi that were making Teams and Ziugo. Yeah, Zyugo, I mean, like, well, that's Perugi anyway. But you either like Zyugo or you don't, because they, they come out with the flat bases then. They were making bowl bases. They made bowl bases for a bit, then went to flat bases, and now they're making both. So I think brands like Santiago, Topspin, and Zyugo have overtaken the Subutio brand. Sometimes necessity is the mother of invention. Here's Gareth Christie explaining how he and his father set up their business during the years when Hasbro were not actively promoting the game. Uh, well, I've got quite a long history with, with the game, um, going from uh, right back from the playing days and then designing and manufacturing and then sort of really just trying to develop products to help the the game stay alive while um, it was it was off the shelves and um, really I mean my dad's a handyman and he's he was always building tables for tournaments and what have you and then when I started um, running one club um, in the village of this thing in Abernethy um, he made some tables for that and then from there I think my son my son came along and um, he wanted to build a, a little small one for him to, to learn to play on. And um, yeah, just kind of went from there. We sort of made one, and then other people started um, liking them. And then we thought, mm, okay, this is one of the one of the uh, hurdles to get into the game is to have a good flat surface to play on. And then you know, instead of rolling the, the pitch out on the floor, so we thought, well, maybe we can 
um, you know, offer a service that nobody else seemed to be doing. Um, and uh, yeah, get some good quality equipment out there. And uh, yeah, hopefully people can get over that hurdle and then, then they just have the next one of learning the rules and how to play. And yeah, just hopefully attract more players into the game. As I said earlier, Hasbro has never really had an idea about what to do with Subutio. As a result, they've come in for a lot of criticism from people in the community. Here, Callum Westwood of Westwood Table Soccer gives his views of the new products being produced by Hasbro. I just don't... It's still the same... Like the Leicester Champions League team, when we were in the Champions League, it's the blue team and they just stuck a sticker on the box. Like it, So it's a lazy, mass-produced product like they just don't care really i don't think but not everyone agrees with callum some people think that hasbro come in for too much criticism here keith littler of the highly successful youtube channel table football monthly cuts the american toy giants some slack and explains that it's not actually that surprising where subutio has ended up uh no uh, I think it's um, perfectly uh, understandable how the issues with Hasbro have occurred. Uh, one needs to remember that when Hasbro bought uh, Waddington's in 1994, they weren't specifically buying Subutio. Uh, they were buying uh, a, a £26 million gaming company. Uh, as an American company, Hasbro were never quite going to comprehend what Subutio was. Uh, so, no, I'm not surprised by it. And I think negligence too strong a word, to be honest. I think it's been uh, what you might have expected. Gareth Christie, who makes bespoke Subutio tables with his father as flicks for kicks, is another who has some sympathy for Hasbro. And here he talks about how hard it is for a company their size to innovate. Yeah, I, I think I think it's basically it is, it is down to the small businesses to, to keep producing these um, bespoke products. And I think that the benefit that small manufacturers have is you can move quickly, whereas, um, you know, Hasbro obviously have um, lots of, um, or rightly so, they, they have um, budgets and they have to um, they have to know that they're going to sell before they um, go into production. Um, whereas we can um, just create a product, test it, see what people think, try something else um, or make more of them and just keep tweaking and working like that. Um, and all these new technologies, 3D printing, laser cutting, um, you know, and then well, traditional woodwork ourselves, um, but combining that with um, maybe some of the, the digital, digital aspects. In the introduction, I described how Subutio were forced to sell out to Waddington's, initially because they couldn't keep up with demand for their highly successful product. Here's Keith Littler again on how he thinks Waddington's got their handling of the Subutio brand just right and how Hasbro should have taken notice. Yeah, but they did something very different. When Waddington's bought Subutio in 68, they had uh, two years before they made their own uh, table football game called Waddington's Table Soccer that was fundamentally a tiddlywinks-based game. So you could understand how they would look at Subutio and envy it. But the thing they did that was very, very clever is they bought 100% of Subutio sports games, but they left 
the incumbent people to run it. They didn't interfere. Stephen Hurrell is a journalist from Merseyside who runs the influential Subutio online blog. Like Keith Littler, he also thinks that Hasbro haven't understood the football culture, and in particular, the sense of nostalgia that players and collectors feel for the game. That fun? And, like, I, I think that's like the joy of Subutio. I think like some of the some of the older teams, and you know, you get the uh, the scoreboards with the names on and things like that, and there's names you've not even heard of, and I just I just think it's brilliant. And it's, I, I love the idea of you know, one reference can represent five or six different teams, and it can be you know a top European team, but it can also be some amateurs from Norway or something like that. Um, and you know, I think most people probably played those little tournaments in the house and you know had you know Queens Park against AC Milan in the Subutio Cup final, you know, that sort of stuff. I love, I, I just love that sort of thing. And I just, you know, I wish the brand itself acknowledged that people do this and sort of celebrated a bit more. But it's not just the feelings of nostalgia that Hasbro don't get. Stephen also believes that Hasbro have been apathetic at best towards the brand. And in his opinion, licensing might be the best way forward. Here he is again. Yes, in short. Um, I, I went down to the uh, Toy Fair in London earlier this year, just before lockdown. And it was a bit of a shock to me that the Hasbro stand was on the other side of this huge hall from the University Game stand, which had the new Subutio you know, advert and all the new products. And I just thought, if that wasn't a sort of good metaphor for how Hasbro has pretty much wiped its hands of the brand, you know, nothing is. I thought it was st quite startling from a Subutio fan perspective. Um I'm all for um, licensing. I think you know you can be clever about it. I don't think take the license away from anyone, but I do think give the license to more people. Um, you know, I, t I talked earlier about how to you know Subutio needs new collectible pieces, and I think if you went to some of the amazing painters, you know, uh, what's he Subutio art and Westwood Table Soccer and uh, Paul Lloyd on Facebook as well, and Subutio licensed out, for example, um, I talked on the blog recently about non-league teams and how they're really struggling during lockdown. If you went to these painters and said, look here, can you paint 10 each of these five non-league teams? They go and do it. The distribution community, things like my blog, YouTube helps to promote it and sell those sets. They're all numbered, they're all collectible, um, but they're all officially endorsed by Subutio. Suddenly you've, you've got you know lovely, wonderful painted Subutio teams brand new, licensed by Serizio, but really top quality as well. And I think that's how you kickstart the collectible industry. Um, there's also some people doing brilliant things with 3D printers. Um, SerizioStadium.com, for example, there's floodlights and stands and seats and all sorts, and even a VAR set. And I think, you know, if you extend the license to people like that, you can control quality, but you can really start generating some really good, interesting product launches. And I think, you know, We've seen with things like the winter pitch that was on sale earlier this year um, and the muddy pitch as well at um, Table Football Monthly have done. They sell out quickly. There's, the demand is there. So all it needs is somebody slightly savvy in marketing to come along and see this. And I think, you know, the cottage industry could turn into a major hobby industry. Callum Westwood is another who thinks that licensing might be a good idea for Hasbro. Actual name Subutio is... I just think very poorly managed and it's a shame because if they put a even 10% more effort into it 
it could be a really good product again. But it's just not. <laughs> Here's Keith Littler again. Unlike our previous two contributors, he's not in favour of licensing. Instead, he would like to see something far more radical being done to save the game of Subutio. Something that many long-term fans of the game will probably agree with. But if um, for Hasbro, I think, again, if I may be blunt, what I think would work is for a group of people to form a company, make a very sensible bid to Hasbro to buy the brand, create the moulds and create a single business that did table football. That would be the only way. The business now is so fractured. It's in so many little pieces. For me, this would be like throwing a priceless um, China teapot into the air, smashing it into a thousand pieces and trying to rebuild it. You might as well buy a new teapot. And I think with this, we're at the same stage. I think the only way Subutio can grow is if it's owned by a specialist, somebody who isn't running other businesses, somebody who understands the market and somebody who can provide those products. And we need to bear in mind, Derek, and I don't want to take up all your time rattling on, but we need to bear in mind that a lot of these guys who paint, if you and I ran a business, if you and I were business partners and we own Subutio, and you were trying to say to me, Keith, these guys are supplying brilliant painted teams. We've got to bring them into the fold. Uh, I would say, okay, Derek, I'm with you. I need uh, 2,000 units, uh, please. There's no one out there who can supply 2,000 teams um, for the amount of money you and I'd be willing to pay uh, to sell it. it. It just wouldn't work. You know, we'd be lucky if we got 10 in a week. So from 2003, with Hasbro largely out of the game, the field was wide open for a whole tranche of new small manufacturers to move in to fill the gap. Innovation was going to be the key to their success. And whilst new technologies have helped bring a whole range of new products to market, these have been made by small businesses rather than large ones, and they form what can only be described as a cottage industry. In recent months, there's been a rise in 3D printing, and recently someone produced the first female player figure. I asked Gareth Christie what he thought of these new products, and how they might develop in the future. Yes, Paul, Paul Goad, yeah. Um, yeah, I've been speaking to Paul for a few years. We're, we're hoping to work together. Um, or, yeah, I think it's a great idea, and it's you know it should have been done quite a long time ago. And I understand that it's maybe too much of a, a risk for Hasbro themselves to produce it, but you know the way that Paul is doing it with the 3D printing, um, if that can become um, a possibility with you know when costs come down with the 3D printing at home and people have their own 3D printers. Um, yeah, it'll be amazing to have, basically to have it a custom team, like however you want it. You know, we talked about, um, you know, have another, um, you know, male and female and, you know, kids and friends and, you know, like, you know, I'd love to have a, one of our five side sets where you could um, order a custom team, uh, somebody could order a custom team with, you know, say a mum and dad and the kids and, uh, or just, you know, for a birthday, like your son and, um, you know, their pals as well and get each player customised to like, look like them, stuff like that. Yeah, it'd be pretty amazing. 
The cottage industry side of the game is clearly alive and kicking, with lots of innovative products being produced. I asked Keith Littler what he thought was the most innovative product that had been produced in recent years. And you might be surprised by the answer from someone who is so closely associated with the more traditional side of the game. Um, oh, the most innovative, the most innovative. That's really weird because I've bought new dugouts uh, and they look fantastic. They serve no purpose, but I like the way they look. But no, honestly, I think it's the player types. I think some of these uh, flat-based player types uh, are a really nice innovation. They're not uh, clinging onto the past. Uh, they're not spinning. They're the new player type. They slide. They're quite good fun to use. I mean, I am a traditionalist. Don't get me wrong. I'm a heavyweight player. But the look, feel, weight and balance of these new um, sliding player types, they just look and play fantastic. So, yeah, the new player types for me. Stuart Grant who is better known as the Subutio Collector and has the highly popular YouTube programme Ubutio, is another who thinks there are lots of great cottage industry producers servicing the Subutio community. But like most of our contributors, he's in agreement that although the future is bright, it's not Hasbro. Away from the licence stuff, it's amazing what people are doing. Like, I, mean, I just mentioned Subutio Stadium out in Holland. The, the Subutio Stadium accessories doing are amazing. From guardrails to VAR units to cameras to hang up to even speakers that you can click on your stadium that just make everything look real. They're fantastic. If you want to buy a good heavyweight side and get it really detailed and painted, you can go and speak to guys like Lawrence and Callum. There is, honestly, there's the, the community aside. I mean, even pitches. Look at the, you, you've spoken to Gareth already. The pitches that Gareth creates look absolutely phenomenal. Some of them wouldn't look bad in a pub instead of a snooker table. They're that well-crafted. The act, the sort of, I don't know, you could call it the sub-community or the non-licensed community. They probably actually do a lot more for Subutio than Subutio do themselves. All Subutio do is bring out a box set which is slowly increasing their standard, but it's not going to appeal to anyone. It's not going to appeal to anyone new. It's not going to appeal to anyone old because it's too different for everybody. All they do is that, whereas you've got people out there like Callum producing these frames that you can collect and add stuff to. I buy, I do a monthly subscription with um, SheWall, which is an Arsenal website where you pay so much money and every month you collect a different player to build up your top 11. That's just, that's the sort of world we live in now. It's all about collectibles and that's, slowly what people are doing they're making new stuff collectible and I've, I've always come up with the idea of loot boxes and if i knew what i was doing i'd probably do it but certain people have started doing it where you pay a subscription you don't know what team you're getting and suddenly it turns up and that keeps it helping that's the way to get young people into it that's what young people want yes young people are all about electronics and they don't really care for handheld finger flicking games but they're up for a mystery box and they're up for getting something they love football if they know there's a football thing in there and they're going to get a tinker through they'll love that and people in the community are gradually cutting it on and creating more and more stuff and I, I do think it'll uh, it'll come back but I don't think it'll be Subutio doing it I think it'll be like you say the non-license holders bringing this back into the world again but not everyone shares Stuart Grant's optimistic view of the future Keith Littler doesn't possess such a rosy view of the game he thinks it'll be lucky to survive beyond the current crop of collectors and players. He argues if it does want to place itself 
in the market for young people, it will have to be a totally different product. It'll have to be attractive to a new generation of kids in the way that the old game just wouldn't be. Here's his idea of what a futuristic Subutio box set might include. Uh, down the plug hole is the truth um, because companies that buy a license to manufacture Subutio like Longshore don't specialise. Longshore are a games distribution manufacturer um, company. Uh, sorry, they're a manufacturer and a distributor. If Subutio was going to take off now, in my opinion, somebody's got to create an entry-level game with quality product in it. And you can't do that for £35. Quality product would mean really high-quality goals, maybe even metal. It would need a really good pitch, a quality ball that rolls straight. You might have to put the big four European teams in. I mean, people will argue with me, but Juventus, Bayern, Liverpool, Real Madrid. And they've got to look like the real thing, which means buying licenses and making them well. So you could end up with a box set that costs 160, 180 pounds. Well, compared to a lot of games that parents are buying for their kids, that's actually still competitive. So I think until people look at Subutio as a serious game and direct it to, uh, direct it to the youngsters, uh, it's not going to do anything. And I think with our generation, it will fade away unless something's done. But if Hasbro aren't going to ride to the rescue with a new prestige hobby style product, then who will? Is it even possible for new businesses to fill this gap? Mark Parker of Santiago Table Soccer thinks that for new businesses setting up, the barriers to entry might be too high in what is essentially a very small but well-established hobby market. It's hard to say. We, I mean, we've been doing we've been doing this full time for what thirteen years now. But I don't think anybody else at this moment in time would be able to start another brand and go, you know, and run with it. I don't think market's big enough. But for people to buy things off us, paint it, and resell it. Or to buy off top spin like Paul Lloyd does, to to then paint it and resell it. You've either got to go full out, full time, paint as much as you can, or like Callum, <clears throat> you do quality little small bits of quality work that people are willing to pay a good price for, if you understand what I mean. I mean, we try and keep our, our painted team prices as low as possible because we want people to use the teams, not it's a different world from collecting, if you understand what I'm saying. Um, yeah, yeah, so um, it's, it, I think for anybody to start a, a business up, Selling to be, you know, manufacturing it and selling it. I don't think, I don't think, I think that would be a non-starter. But to use the companies that are already up and running to as a platform for your own, like Callum has, for your platform for your own work, 
it's going to I think it's just going to get bigger and bigger Despite having a pessimistic view of the long-term future of the game, Keith Littler is another who is really excited by the growth in the cottage industry side of the game. I absolutely love it. Um, what we've got now, without demeaning it, and I don't want to knock anybody, what we've got now is a very popular hobby and a very popular hobby community. And in that community are some highly talented individuals. So, as you mentioned, some of the teams that are coming out now, the, the decals that are uh, offered, the quality of the hand printing is mind-blowing. You have uh, Subutio World and Astrobase producing mind-bogglingly good pitches. Um, the Stadia game has really uh, increased in popularity. Um, so with Ron Hogendijk and, and the Stadia people are building, I think it's really good and very, very healthy and it keeps us all involved. People can only make these things if they know there's a market out there of people who want them. Um, so I think it's really healthy and I personally really enjoy it. Callum Westwood agrees with Keith that the cottage industry side of Subutio is in rude health. He also thinks that the future is not chasing kids, but rather making it a prestige hobby that incorporates some of the new technologies that are making the new style figures and grandstands for Stadia. I think that side of the game is in is in great hands. The, there's always the concern with any of it. I think Subutio are marketing the game, the new version of the game, at completely the wrong demographic. Um, I think they're trying to get it to be a kid's game again, and I just don't think it's ever going to be that. Um, because kids these days get their football fix with a controller. Um, I, to an extent, get my football fix at times of a controller. We're all of my generation and the younger generation. It's computer games is where we get our, we get our joy. It's the older generation similar to me that will still have sort of that, that love for it and that want to do it. So for me, if I'm, if I'm Subutio and I'm universal games, I'm not bothering trying to get kids playing it. I'd be looking at making it more of a, like a Hornby train sort of product where, that's been around for a long time and it's not all just old people using it. People grow up and they get into it and they see it and then they think, Oh, that's really nice. But it's a real premium high end product for me. They're mass producing things and aiming it at completely the wrong demographic. And if you've listened to, um, Subutio collector, who's got the new stuff, it's not, it's not a patch on the stuff that even I got in the nineties. It's just not as good. So for me, these guys that are out there making their 3d stadiums, um, like David Hoggard, the guy that lives over in here. I know the, um, Paul Goad is the guy that does all the plans for it, but people are modifying those plans and making them themselves. And I think it's great. I think that is because they're not happy with the product they're being given. That's as simple as that. If they were getting a decent product, you wouldn't need people creating their own stadiums, creating their own figures, doing this, this and that, because they're getting a good product. So the fact that there's people out there doing it, making figures, like I get all my stuff from Santiago, uh, Mark over at Santiago, um, but there's companies in Italy. There's obviously the guy in Canada who's now going to be 3D printing figures, which I think is amazing. Um, hopefully someone over here picks it up because the shipping costs are quite a lot of money, which is why I didn't get one. But I think it's brilliant. I think that is actually the real heart of the game. Subutio is a name. I think it's just lost its, it's lost its soul. It's lost what it's about because it just got left to sort of, meander along for so long making 
cheap substandard products aimed at the wrong demographic i just don't think that kids are ever going to get back into it at that level unless they've got a parent that's into it that's how i got into it i would never have got into it if my parents were into it i know when one of the lads i work with i think he's 24 and he said to me i'd never even heard of it until you'd mentioned it so they're just i just feel like they're aiming it personally nowadays at the wrong demographic but the cottage industry side of things like yourself picking up a paintbrush i think it's amazing i think that that is that's the true Sabutio community for me. That is the game. That is what it's all about is people getting out there or buying from people that are hand painting or getting the brushes out like yourself and giving it a go. So that side of things is in great health. And I hopefully that does continue even past when all this coronavirus thing, you know, eventually we do get a vaccine for it and we're able to go to some form of normal. Hopefully the, the community that's been built up and the guys that have come back to it stick with it and keep it going and keep it alive. The conclusion I've come to after speaking to all of our contributors for this episode is that it's the community and not the license holder that will keep the game alive and flicking in its ninth decade. Unlike many in the community, I'm prepared to cut Hasbro a little slack. I agree that they're not perfect, but being a huge American manufacturer was always going to lead to problems when they took over the running of such a beloved part of the British football gaming landscape. Culturally, they just weren't going to get it. But unlike some license holders, they have been highly benevolent towards the unofficial Subutio community. I put it to Keith Littler, who knows quite a bit about the business history of the game, that the independents are lucky that it's Hasbro who hold the Subutio license and not the highly litigious Disney Corporation. If it was Disney, I argued, the game might not exist in its cottage industry form. I'm glad you said that. Because Hasbro come in for a lot of stick. When I drove in this morning and I was thinking about chatting to you, uh, I was thinking about when you emailed me and mentioned Hasbro. I feel very defensive of them because Disney are a perfect example. You've chosen a supreme example of very high-end brand management, which is what Disney is all about. With Hasbro, they have let it freewheel, which has given us all an opportunity um, the only difference you'll see is that Subutio created in the 80s the Astro Pitch. Now you'll see uh, Subutio World, Extreme, Astro Base, producing Astro Turf pitches. No one copies the Astro Pitch name. But other than that, yeah, there's a lot of freedom for independence to work. And that should be a major um, bower thanks to Hasbro. So there you have it, our episode on the business side of Subutio and the state of play as it enters its ninth decade of production. Many questions have been raised by this episode. For example, should the game be saved for future generations or be allowed to wither on the vine and die like many games have done before it? Should Hasbro consider licensing companies other than the current license holder Longshore to make products of a better quality? or simply sell the brand to someone with a vision for the game in the 21st century? Should it even continue to be promoted and marketed as a children's game, or would it be better placed in the market as a premium hobby product business, similar to Hornby? I'd be interested to know what your views are on these questions, so contact me through the Twitter feed, or alternatively by email at fingerflickinggood at gmail.com.
Details of how to get in contact with us are in the episode notes. In the next episode, we'll be looking at the rise of the painter men and investigating why they turned to self-painting of teams and how the market has exploded during the recent lockdown. So if you don't want to miss the show, then subscribe to Finger Flickin' Good on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Anchor, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finger Flickin' Good is an airtime production. It's written and presented by me, Derek Ayer, with contributions from Gareth Christie, Stuart Grant, Stephen Harrell, Keith Littler, Mark Parker, and Callum Westwood. The theme music you're hearing is Drive. It's written and produced specially for the programme by Campbell Ayer of The Creature Review. Check them out on Apple Music, Amazon Music, 